You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. Welcome here this morning. As we open up our Bibles, do you want to turn to Luke chapter 4? Looking at verses 31 to 44. And if, if anyone needs a Bible here this morning, love, uh, put your hand up. We'd love to put one in your hand so you could follow along with us. If anyone needs a Bible over there, uh, got a couple takers. Um, we'll be continuing on our, our series here in the Gospel according to Luke. Just thinking, what are we seeking to do here this morning? Um, first off, as we're, we're opening up God's Word, because it's food for our souls. And we, when we're, we're praying, we're coming in faith that God will feed us from His Word. And that's what we're, we're desiring to do. And, and I pray by His grace and His mercy that you will not walk away saying, I did not get fed by God's Word this morning. I pray that in this passage that we'll be able to see more of who Jesus is, grow under and worship of, of who he is. We'll see how the kingdom of God advances in the gospel of Luke. And we'll, I'll be asking and asking us to ha- ask the Lord to show this, this. How is God's rule and reign advancing in our own? Uh, our desire here this morning, if you want to bow with me, uh, I'm going to pray even before we read God's word this morning. Oh Lord, ah, what a, a a blessing it is to be able to sing songs to your name. And now as we open up your scriptures, Lord, speak to us. Lord, we are coming hungry. We desire uh, to hear a word from you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that you would take this word proclaimed. You would give me uh, your anointing. Give me clarity of speech. Give me courage. To proclaim it, give us all soft hearts and open ears, O Lord, and teach us from your word and mold us by it. And allow us to see again more clearly Jesus Christ above all else, Lord. I pray you would help us from distractions and wandering thoughts. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord. So use this word to lift up the Son, to give glory to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to stand with me as we read God's Word, we'll be starting again in verse 31 of chapter 4. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled this, this message, The Kingdom of God Advances. I think you see that all throughout the Gospel of Luke. I think Luke's highlighting that in this passage. I love what Robert Stein says, I just as an introduction where we're going. Luke 41, 31 to 37 is the first of 21 miracles in Luke. The miracles that reveal the coming of God's kingdom also reveal that the kingdom is here because its king has come. Right, where if you've been with us for the past few weeks, this is following the temptation of Christ, where Jesus was uh, tempted by the devil. He withstood that. He is faithful. He uh, will not bow down. He's led by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. And as we continued on, he returned victorious in the power of the Spirit. He went to Nazareth and he taught there on uh, another Saturday. He spoke of Isaiah chapter 61, 1 to 2. And um, if you're with us last week, you know. He spoke the word. He said, today it is fulfilled in him. And then the crowd got angry as he continued to go. They wanted to actually destroy him. Uh, leaving, leaving Nazareth, now the settings changed. Uh, to It's actually Capernaum. I always pronounce it wrong. I'm going to say it numerous ways today, just so you know. Uh, he goes to this city. Uh, he goes to a synagogue. And we have what happens there in the synagogue. Then he goes to Simon's house, Simon Peter's house. And then he goes to a desolate place. And we're looking at those three areas today as we're seeing demons being cast out, uh, people being healed, God's kingdom advancing. I hope you can see it so clearly today. If you look at the first section with me, 31 to 37, Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. Whatever else you see, I want you to see that. Jesus has uh, authority over the spiritual realm. So verse 31 it says he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. He had to go down because if he was in Nazareth, I guess the Nazareth is 1,300 feet above sea level, and Capernaum is lying on the Sea of Galilee. It's like 700 feet below sea level. So it's actually a pretty drastic change. Again, Luke, knowing the details, this is a historically accurate book. He had to go down to Nazareth, to Capernaum, this city uh, northwest uh, city on the Sea of Galilee, known for fishing, business, commerce. There was a place that the Romans collected taxes. It was also kind of a, a major place in which roads went through as well. Uh, Jesus, uh, in his ministry, this is kind of like his home base that he used uh, later on to preach the gospel from. And so Jesus goes there, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. We looked at last week that every Saturday, the Sabbath, Jesus would be found in the synagogue. And it was his habit. It was what he did. 
And so again, another Saturday, where do you find him? He's in the synagogue, and he's teaching the Scriptures. This is what he did consistently, over and over again. And interesting, though, this time, verse 32, it doesn't actually say what he was teaching. We, we don't know it all. It's not revealed to us. We do know, though, that the habit was to read from the Old Testament uh, law, the Old Testament prophets, and then he would have given some sort of exposition on it. He would have stood to read the Scriptures, sat down to teach. We do not know what was said. Luke's not concerned, actually, about what he said. He kind of gave us that glimpse, uh, what we looked at last week in, at Nazareth. That's the time when we were like, here's the message. It's Isaiah 61. And he explained it. Probably had a, maybe a longer message than he did last week. He sat down. He said, today it has been fulfilled. Short sermon to the point. Uh, maybe it was a longer exposition this time. But as he was teaching, it says this about him. Verse 32. And they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. Right? His word possessed authority. Most people would teach and they'd always say, okay, this rabbi said this. Tradition says this. And they would refer back. They would kind of never say their own thing. It was about what someone else said, what, who they quoted, who they said. Jesus taught the Word, His own authority. Of course, as we know Scripture, He is the Word. He's the living Word of God. So, of course, He had the authority. But they had not heard someone talk of Scripture like this. They were astounded. They were amazed. And so, as He's teaching, though, this, uh, this event happens. Verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. It's kind of an interesting phrase there by Luke, the spirit of an unclean demon, just showing, of course, anything that's unclean uh, is kind of not of God. God makes things clean. It's, it's set apart. This is not of God. And, and Luke, again, he always makes these um, assumptions. So the Bible makes these assumptions. It doesn't say anything about demons, it just assumes like, okay, you get it that there's a spiritual realm. Angels and demons exist. And there's someone possessed by a demon here. Demons would be fallen angels. Those who rebelled with the devil against God, cast down to the earth. And demons are those who, who seek to do the devil's will. They're opposed to God and his rule. And of course, as we go through the, all the Gospels, like, it seemed like there was a, definitely a head-to-head -head happening. All these de demon-possessed people were showing up. And of course, Jesus is showing who is in charge here. So the demon-possessed man, he cried out with a loud voice. Most of our translations have ha. Basically, it's just like an exclamatory phrase exp expressing surprise or displeasure, like He's shocked. He sees who Jesus is. He knows who he is. He kind of screams out, what's going on here? Imagine that distraction happening. And look at his question. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Notice he says us. Have you come to destroy us? The us he's talking about is him and other demons. Right? He, he says, have you come to destroy us? In Luke chapter uh, 8, verse 31, one of the demons who Jesus is casting out says this, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. That's where some demons were already held, in the abyss, in Sheol. They weren't going anywhere. Interesting, the demon's question. I love 
Joel Green writes this, The coming of the messianic age spelled the demise of the rule of Satan. The question, have you come to destroy us? The demon inquires of Jesus, yes. Yes, he came to destroy them. He came to put them in their place. They're just wondering, are you going to throw us into the abyss now? Because you have the authority to do so. In Matthew 8, 29, it's recorded this. Another demon says this, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew a time was coming. They knew their time was short. That as they met Jesus, they're like, oh, are, are we already done? The second he shows up, they're asking that question. That's very interesting. They knew where they were going. They knew who he was. Look at the confession of the demon. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It, it, it kind of should remind us, as we're reading through the Gospel of Luke, uh, Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, you will have a, a, a child. He will be holy, the Son of God. All throughout, we continue to see this reiterated. Now a demon is recognizing who Jesus is. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus, no, look at this, verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him. This word we're going to see repeated uh, numerous times in this passage. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. So Luke makes that point, even though he had kind of maybe convulsed him, as Mark shows in his gospel, he came out, he didn't do him any harm. When Jesus says, be silent, come out, the demon can't do anything to this man anymore. Jesus has the authority. <clears throat> there's no struggle, there's no battle. I thought, what is a good example like that? Maybe it's like professional uh, hockey players playing toddlers on ice. If you could picture that, like little babies with sticks and professional hockey players, and the analogy doesn't, it's not strong enough to show like there's absolutely no struggle. There's not like, oh, can he do it? Can he not? He's like, he rebukes them, be silent, that's it. That is it. We looked at last week this, this uh, call from Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. Friends, this is the liberty to the oppressed. He's like, I was anointed by the Spirit of God to preach the gospel of good news to the poor, to bring liberty to the oppressed. This, this man oppressed by a demon is now being set free. Jesus is like, this is what I came to do. The kingdom of God is advancing. That's what we see happening here. I thought this was a very interesting quote by a man, uh, David Garland. He said this, most people in Western cultures today fear viruses more than they do demons. I'm like, wow, I think that's true. But, but I think it's because we seek to explain the demonic away. I, we see it and we try somehow in our Western analytical scientific mind to understand everything. And we don't understand the spiritual realm well. But we try to explain it away. But it is real. There's a great demonic influence uh, in our world, in our culture, over our movies, our music. And friends, I was just, I'm like, okay, what examples do I give? And even as I was looking at different things, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Because I want to take your, your eyes off of Jesus Christ. But I, I think many of us, I, I hope all of us can see the demonic influence within our culture, within our movies, within our music. 
within people maybe you've met or seen. But no, I don't want to tell stories and we'll be, that's all we'll remember. I want to fix on Jesus Christ. He rebuked the demon. The demon was silent, got kicked out. Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. Right er, Earlier in Luke chapter 4, the devil promised authority to Jesus if he would bow down to him. He said, I have authority over all these nations. If you bow down to me, you can have them. If you worship me. Jesus didn't bow down. He's like, no, no, you worship God alone. But now we see Jesus showing up with authority. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, to, re- to remind you, 1 John 3, 8, I love this verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The kingdom is moving forward. Jesus showed his authority in his teaching and rebuking the demon. Amen? Amen. And so th- this is just the one event here that, at the synagogue. And of course, people were amazed. Verse 36 and 37. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. We're going to continue to see this phrase. We've already seen it in verse 14 of chapter 4. A report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Everything Jesus is doing, word is spreading. And think about it, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have social media, they didn't have you know, the internet. How, how is word spreading? Just people meeting each other as they're like sharing stories. Hey, did, did you hear what happened in the synagogue today? You think that would be big news? Did you hear what happened? Did you hear this teaching? Maybe, maybe they are, I, did anyone know that that person had a demon? It does not say. Maybe he just was hidden and then kind of revealed himself as Jesus was there, but that was big news and the word was spreading as we're going to see all across town. So that first took place in the synagogue. Jesus shows he has authority over the spiritual realm. He'll continue to show that. The next section I want us to look at, verses 38 to 41. Jesus has authority over the physical realm. Now the the scene moves to Simon's house. And he arose, verse 38, and left the synagogue and enters Simon's house. It is interesting uh, Simon, it's Peter, right? Like Luke's just assuming you know who he is. Peter, the apostle, one of the followers of Jesus, no intro to him. And again, and again even has Luke has this uh, kind of choreographed or, or put in his Gospels, in Matthew and Mark's Gospel, the calling of the apostles, the early disciples, takes place before this story. Which makes sense, because why all of a sudden he goes to Peter's house? I think he had prior knowledge to him. But Luke isn't as concerned about that. Often he uses different themes that he wants to pull through, and he kind of changes things around chronologically. We saw that with the temptation of Christ. I think we see this now. Just that's why he's not, all of a sudden he's going to Simon's house. It's like, who's Simon? In chapter 5, he calls the disciples. I think Matthew and Mark, they have it more chronologically happening earlier. just want to point that out to you. <laughs> So as he's there, uh, he goes to Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Of course, only the doctor has this, that it was a high fever. Everyone else just has a fever. He has just, it, it, was, it was much worse than a fever. It was a high fever. Leave it to the doctor to have those details. And they appealed to him on her behalf. 
Again, it's other synoptic gospels, like who is it, who is they? Well, it's Peter and his brother Andrew, and it's uh, James and John, the, the brothers. They, they, in the other synoptic gospels, are like, can you please heal his mom? She's really sick. She's not doing well. And look at this, verse 39, and he stood over her and rebuked the, fe- rebuked the fever. There's that word again. He rebuked the fever and it left her. The synoptics also have that he, he touched her hand. So it kind of Luke, it almost like, hey, he stood over her, he rebuked it, but the synoptics have, he reached down, he touched her hand. As he rebuked her, he, he called her up. So we see here Jesus just beginning, we're continuing to see it, that Jesus has authority over sickness. More than that, as we're going to see as we go through the Gospel of Luke, he has authority over the physical realm. Winds and waves obey him. Bread and fish multiplied by him. Jesus has authority over the physical realm. We don't. (laughs) Jesus does. Again, I, I think what we saw in, in Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19, that Jesus proclaimed this is the year of the Lord's favor. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. This is, the, this is the Lord's favor. It was brought about, the problems brought about by the fall when Adam and Eve uh, took the fruit they weren't supposed to and uh, disobeyed. And it brought sin and sickness. And even from that we see demonic oppression coming later. Jesus, now it's the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus is starting to reverse the curse that was brought on uh, from that. And as, as even in, in sickness, was, it wasn't there before the fall, Jesus the Messiah, he's, he's pushing that back. God's kingdom is advancing. But friends, we, even as I say this, even as I read this, we of course need to know we still deal with sin, we still deal with sickness, and we still deal with death until heaven or the day the Lord would call us home. And, and, and big picture for us in, in the church, uh, we're still called to pray for people who are sick. In, in James chapter 5, verse 14, James wrote this, if any, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That would show that someone's quite sick. You know, like they're, they're not able to go somewhere. They need to call for the elders. And we are to pray for those who are sick, anointing them with oil. And really, in doing that, we're praying, God, your will be done. God, heal them. If God chooses to heal them, he heals them. God's the one who heals. If not, we're anointing them with oil. These, this is, these are your people, Lord. Your will be done. That's, that's what we're called to do within the church. But Jesus, everywhere he went, when he healed someone, they were always healed immediately. Because he has authority over the physical realm. We'll keep talking more about healing as we go through the gospel of Luke. But notice what what happens to uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He rebuked the fever, it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. She was healed and she got up and began to serve them. Just, Just think about that for a second. That's, that's, it wasn't like going around, everyone, hey, look at me, look what happened. She goes and she serves the Lord. And it's a good pattern to follow. Interesting in Luke's gospel, Luke 22, 26 to 27, where the disciples are arguing, hey, who among us is the greatest? 
It's like they're, they're human, like us. Followers of Jesus for three years in their conversation to the side, I think I'm better than you. <laughs> and Jesus rebukes them for this. And he says this in Luke 22, 25 to 27. He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Those over them are called benefactors, like, hey, you're in a higher place, you're over everybody else. Not so with you, rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Like, of course. The one who's being served, that one's the greater. Jesus says this, but I am among you as the one who serves. That was, that was Jesus' example. He was the one who would serve others. He's the one who, uh, who served on the meal. He's the one who, before he was killed, he, he took off his outer garments and washed his disciples' feet. But I love Peter's mother-in-law. She is healed, and she's not like, okay, I have all these other things I need to do today. She's like, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus. And so just, just think about that with me for a moment. How many of us have ever prayed while we're sick or going through a trial? Lord, if you get me through this, if you get me through this, I will, whatever phrase we attach to that. And then how quickly when we get through it, we're like, oh no, I actually have a very busy schedule. <laughs> but we, were, we get saved to serve. We get healed to serve. He takes us through things. So then we would be about his business and not our own. We see this in Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I just want to point that out to you. And so the setting doesn't change, but the, the group of people there does. Look at verse 40 with me. Ministry continues at Simon's house. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. The sun was setting because the Sabbath was now finishing, right? It was a Saturday. And the Sabbath had to finish so then people could kind of take their heavy burdens, I guess, uh, the elders or different Jewish people had set. You couldn't like walk more than a kilometer during the Sabbath. So however far Peter's uh, house was from everyone, they had to wait till the sun went down. The Sabbath was, was finished. And then they could also carry heavy burdens. So they were being obedient to that. But when the Sabbath was done, everyone had heard about what Jesus had did in the, done in the synagogue. And they're like, let's go see Jesus. And they're bringing all types of sick people, all types of people going through all types of suffering. And look at this. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus could have just like to the crowd, he could have said, hey, you're all healed. For whatever reason, individually and intimately, he laid his hands on every single one of them and healed them. His, that's, I think he's so compassionate. His personal touch. And note, in this instance, he, no one was called on to like show your faith. Just believe it, then you'll be healed. No, he laid his hands on them. They still didn't even know who he was, and he was healing them. Of course, there, there are many different uh, ways in which healing is described by Jesus within the Gospels. But I just want to push that against. There's this false notion that people like, oh, hey, you're healed, but you just need to believe it. You need enough faith to, to receive it. You don't see any of that there. Jesus is the one who's in, in control of the physical realm. He heals them. Again, showing his authority, showing the year of God's favor is happening. God's kingdom is advancing. Jesus has authority over the physical realm. 
And even Luke, he kind of differentiates. He's like, there are people who are sick and there are people who are demon-possessed. And sometimes, sometimes those who are demon-possessed show sickness. But he's like putting them in two different categories here. Verse 41. And the demons also came out of many, crying, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. There's that word again. He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Again, like, there's this testimony of demons in, this, in these passages. And like, do, do you believe it? They said, oh, he, you are the Son of God. And he rebuked them. It, he wasn't ready to have massive crowds grow and follow him, though it, it kept happening naturally. But even interesting, Jesus at his baptism, as he comes out of the water at Jesus' baptism, the Father says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. The Son of God. The, the devil, as he tempts Jesus, says, if you are the Son of God, do this, testing him. The demons, immediately on seeing Jesus, says, you are the Son of God. They knew. They knew who he was. And, of course, he rebuked them. He had authority over them. It's not later on into Luke's gospel that finally Peter will confess and say, you are the Christ. The demons know it right away. They knew he was the Messiah. The demons knew who he was, who he is, the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of God. What about you? Do you know? Friends, I just want to point this out to you. James, in James chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Like, think about that, that even the, de the demons maybe have the best understanding theologically of who God is, of who Jesus is, 100% God, 100% man. And they shudder. And even as these demons are confessing, you are the Son of God, a verbal confession. It's a truth statement, but it's not saving faith. I want you to just think about this for a second. Sometimes we're like, hey, if you can just say the right thing, state truth in the right order, that's it. Is your confession that comes from your lips, is it saving faith or is it simply stating what's true like the demons do? This is the Son of God. Say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in the ground and he rose again. That's true. Is it true for you? Is it true for you? Is, does that confession come with a repentant faith? Uh, I, I'm, I'm unclean. I need a holy Savior. I'm a sinner. I need someone who has walked this life perfectly because I haven't. And I'm putting my faith in him. Does your confession come with it uh, a surrendering faith? And what I mean by that is like as I'm making that confession... Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. I'm like, and my life is in submission to Him. Do you see the two differences? The demons make true statements about Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. But it's not a saving faith. I just I want to speak to those who like who I know the truth. You can say the truth. But are you surrendering your life? Are you putting your faith in Christ by making that statement? And those two things can be very different. 
We see here Jesus had authority over the physical realm. He had authority over the spiritual realm. God's kingdom continues to advance. My, my last point, the last section, verse 42 to 44, is just that Jesus advances the kingdom of God. Jesus advances the kingdom of God. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. It's interesting that Luke doesn't say why he went there. It's Mark's gospel that says he went there to pray. He went there to be alone. Mark 1.35. Luke later on, Luke 5.16 notes that. But Jesus, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. For whatever reason, Luke, who highlights prayer all the time in his gospel, doesn't highlight it this time. We'll talk about that uh, later when we get to that verse. But that's what Jesus was doing. He was leaving to be alone with the Father uh, to seek him in prayer. And so he goes to be alone. And we see what happens. This crowd gathers around him. Interesting, in Nazareth, he preaches this message. uh, And as he's continuing to talk to them, the crowd gets angry and takes him to a hill to throw him off a cliff. That's what happened in Nazareth. They rejected him, but of course he just walks through. It wasn't his time uh, to go. But then here in Capernaum, what, they, what happens, look at this in verse 42, the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Very different than Nazareth. They basically they want to keep Jesus for themselves. They're like, hey, we've decided it's best for you to stay with us. Right? They're like, we love what you're doing, Jesus, and you should stay. I would just say this, be careful, if you don't seek and know God's will, others will give you theirs, right? Like if you're like, I don't really know what God is calling me to do, as we, that's why we search his scriptures, that's why we pray, his spirit leads us, other people will say, I know what you should do. That's what they're trying to do to Jesus. Hey, we, our will is that you would stay. And look at his response Verse 43, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. We're going to unpack that statement here in in just a second, but just closing that, that passage, 44, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. It's a little confusing because you're like, oh, I thought he was in Galilee. Why does it say Judea? Mark's gospel says he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. You're like, Mark, you got it. And actually later scribes who were copying Luke changed it to Galilee. Because <laughs> they're like, I think you meant Galilee. I think Luke's just using Judea just as a broad term meaning the, the place where the Jews lived. But if you like attention to detail, people didn't like that very much. It's just saying he continued to preach in the area. He continued to go on. But look at the statement that he made as he uh, told them why he had to go. I want us to see this. This is like Jesus' mission statement, if you will. Verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He says, I must preach. It was a divine imperative. He had no choice. He had to be about it. He must preach the good news. We've already seen this in in Luke 4.18. He must preach the good news to the poor. This is why he was sent. He couldn't, he couldn't be stopped doing this. I love, he says, I must preach. The message of the good news was coming through the proclamation. 
of the gospel, his teaching, his preaching. David Garland says this. He explains that Luke is more concerned with emphasizing the preaching of the good news than with emphasizing the goodness of the news. It's the act of preaching good news that's according to God's plan. And it's the act of preaching that indicates there is a divine plan at work. God speaks through his preaching. Jesus says he must preach the good news. He says, for this I was sent. He was a sent man. He wasn't coming up with something of his own. He was doing the Father's will, led by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his message was to go out. He wasn't to be stopped in one place. It had to keep going. It had to keep expanding. He was sent. And what is the message that he's proclaiming? The good news of the kingdom of God. Friends, kingdom of God, it's such a huge term. We're just going to like touch on it for a moment. It's what Jesus was about, expanding God's kingdom. And it, it appears that term, kingdom of God, 31 more times in the gospel of Luke. So pretty significant. Actually, in, in the book of Acts, it begins with uh, Jesus, 40 days before he ascended into heaven, teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. The, the book of Acts ends in, in chapter 28, uh, verse 31, with the Apostle Paul in Rome for two years at his own expense, teaching about the kingdom of God. It's very, very significant. That was his mission. What does it mean? I believe just quite simply we can call it God's rule in action. God's rule in action, the kingdom of God, or his rule and reign. Again, we see throughout these passages, we see God's kingdom set in opposition to the devil's domain. The devil claiming authority and power, Jesus led by the power of the Holy Spirit showing his authority, expanding God's kingdom by preaching, healing, and freeing captives. Of course, this kingdom, if we would understand it properly, it comes in Jesus Christ. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's already here, but yet it's not yet fully here. Jesus' full rule and reign is not yet here. We still have death. We still have destruction. We still have sin. So it's already and not yet. And often as we think of kingdom, we think of geography, right? Like Canada has its borders and USA and other countries. And so we think of geography, but that's not really how you could speak of Jesus or God's kingdom. Again, it's more his rule and reign in people's lives, in individual lives. Again, how we see it happening in this passage, the guy who is possessed with a demon, uh, he was set free. God's rule and reign came into his life. God's kingdom advances. Those who were sick were healed. God's kingdom advances. As Jesus would preach the message of good news, forgiveness for sins, and people who heard God's rule and reign would come in their lives, God's kingdom would advance. We continue to see this all through Luke's gospel, all through the other gospels. Again, this passage, as we go through Luke, we keep seeing more who is Jesus. Even if we take the testimony of the demons, he's the Holy One of God. He's the Son of God. He is the Christ. Friends, what do you do with this word that we've looked at here this morning? The question for you, is God's kingdom and rule advancing in your life? Is God's kingdom and rule advancing in your life? And, and how I, I seek to explain this is by uh, an analogy using Lego. Follow me for a second, if you will. See if it makes sense. I have friends 
uh, who their kids play with Lego. And the thing about Lego, it gets everywhere. And uh, they have uh, an extra room in their house for people to stay when they're visiting, and that's like the Lego room. And all the Legos kept in there, and the door's shut. Friends, our house is not like that. <laughs> and so Lego, and honestly, even in the front entrance as I left this morning, there's Lego scattered about. There's Lego uh, underneath the couch. There's Lego on the couch. There's, maybe it's on my fault for not cleaning up with my kids. Lego just gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. Friends, that should be like God's rule and reign in our life. Often we're like, hey, I just want to keep Jesus in one little place. Whether it's on a Sunday morning, when I, when I come on a Sunday morning, like, man, I'm a faithful follower of the Lord. Or maybe it's on a Wednesday, maybe it's a, a Bible study or a small group, like, yes, I love the Lord there. Does Jesus come with you to work? Are you a Christ follower at work? Are you a Christ follower when you're alone and no one's with you? Are you a Christ follower on your phone? With our finances, with our time, in every area, our following Jesus Christ, his reign and rule should keep expanding. Just like the Lego that's everywhere. Everywhere you look in your life, you should see marks that, yes, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The reality is, though, even as as I preach this word, I know there's areas of my life, I'm like, oh, Lord, you need to have full reign and rule. And whatever is coming to mind as I'm speaking this, if you're like, oh, there's this one thing, this one area, we need to confess that for him. Confess that before him. We need to just ask, hey, Lord, forgive me, but Lord, have your way in every area. Right? That, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're like, yes, I, I, I'm following you, I believe in you. And then God, as you're meeting with him, reading the word and prayer, and he's like, what about this? Yes, Lord. I didn't, yes, Lord, forgive me for that. I didn't know that was there. Whatever it is, whatever he reveals to you, may his rule and reign continue to grow in our lives. And then as it does in our own lives, how does it keep spreading? By proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. We looked at last week, the passage in Isaiah, proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. As we tell people about Jesus, who he is, what he did, how through faith and trust in him you can be saved, and his kingdom continues to advance through the proclamation of the gospel. But first, I'm just thinking uh, individually in our own lives, of us is God rule and reign is it everywhere or even in this moment is there somewhere that God's pointing to and saying do I have this area do I have this thing why why should Jesus have rule and reign over every area of our lives why should God's kingdom reign in our life because of who Jesus is authority over spiritual realm he is authority over the physical realm he is the king And may his rule and reign grow in our lives. May his kingdom advance through the witness of the word, of our word proclaimed in his lot, and our lives changed. If you'll bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray that which is from you seal in our hearts, that which is not may it fall to the ground. And even as I, as I just mumbled through some of the the finishing of this message, O Lord, in your mercy, by your Spirit, Lord, reveal in each one of our lives, where where are we holding back from you? Lord, for for those who are here today who don't know you, may they surrender and put their faith and trust in you. 
believe in you for salvation. Lord, I pray for, for many of us who do know you. Lord, whatever area you've, you've shown us, you're speaking to us, may we just uh, lay it before you. And forgive us, Lord, for uh, not giving you every area. Forgive us, Lord, for maybe creating categories or places in our life where you don't have a full rule and reign. Have every part of us, O Lord, that we would glorify your name, that we'd see your kingdom advance, and your name be known by more people here in Red Deer and Central Alberta, wherever you'd send us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.